It was 500 years before this man's story would even be written down. His name was Abram. He was a common man. Nothing that special about him. He was a shepherd. He was an old man. And he was the husband of an old wife. He was 75 when God made him a promise. This promise wasn't contingent upon what he did, but on God's kindness, God's goodness. Abram wasn't perfect. In fact, he was a liar. He was an adulterer. He was a doubter. He was a sinner. It wasn't what Abraham had done to deserve God's kindness or promise. It's what God would do. He brought Abram out of his tent. He said, Abram, come out. I want you to look up. Look into the sky. Tell me what you see. Abram said, I see stars. Hundreds of stars, thousands of stars, hundreds of thousands of stars, millions of stars. And God said to Abram, so will your descendants be on the earth. See, the problem is Abram had no children and he had no hope of children. It was impossible. But God said it. Abraham believed it. Abraham believed nothing else. He simply believed God is who he said he was and that he would do what he said he would do. The same stars that Abraham saw that night are the same ones on the screens this morning, same ones. And the beautiful good news that we have to talk about this morning is the same grace that was given to Abram when he believed is given to us when we believe. In our text this morning, it says, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the story that Paul's going to use this morning to remind us of the fact that this idea of salvation by grace, or justification by faith is not a new idea. It's an old idea. It's one that started with God. It was his plan all along. This is our fifth week in our uh, Galatians series uh, called Faith and Freedom. We're glad you're with us. Uh, I want to say thanks to my friend Scott Fitzgerald who filled in for us last week. He did a great job. Uh, I want to I make clear kind of a few things that, that we're talking about in this series and make sure we understand a couple of the specific points. Number one, Paul was writing this letter to the Galatians. He wasn't writing it to one person. He wasn't writing it to one church. He was writing it to a group of churches in this area called Galatia, modern-day Turkey. So he's writing this to this group of churches. And the reason he's writing is because there's a scandal going on in the church. It's a bad situation. The scandal is that there have been some people who've come from Jerusalem trying to confuse and distort the message of Paul about the gospel of Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus... Is good, but Jesus is not enough. Jesus is good, but it's not enough. You once you get saved, even saved by grace, sure, whatever. Now you need to add works of the law. Now you need to add circumcision. And Paul's saying, No, that's not the gospel of Jesus. And when you add things to the gospel, you reverse it, you distort it, you destroy it. Because it wasn't something we worked for in the first place. It was something given to us as a gift by God. And so Paul's writing this letter, trying to clarify and confirm and, and establish 
the truth of the gospel. Uh, these false brothers had come in and they're, they're causing these churches to question, who is Paul, right? Why, why does Paul get to speak into this situation? Uh, so Paul, from the very first few words in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, you remember this? He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Remember the first words of chapter 1. Paul is defending who he is, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. From the very first words, and from all the way to the end of chapter 2, he's been defending. No, I have a right to speak. I have a right to help define because uh, define what the gospel is because Jesus himself has commissioned to me. He sent me. That's what apostle means, right? The sent ones. There's small a apostle and capital A apostle. And the capital A apostles are the ones who are actually with Jesus, which is what Paul was. Jesus revealed himself to Paul. And he had been given this commission and this ministry to go and be sent. And so Paul had the authority to even define what the true gospel is. Paul had that authority to do that. So Paul is speaking to these folks. He's, he's been frustrated. He's defending who he is. He says, I've been sent by Jesus. He says, I've been to Jerusalem twice. I've preached in and out of Jerusalem with the apostles in the synagogues. In fact, I've even preached my gospel before the other apostles, and they didn't change a thing. They didn't add one thing to my message. It was the same, same message, right? And even though Paul says later that I'm not looking for man's approval, the text still tells us that he got the right hand of fellowship. He got that fellowship. He got that approval from other men, even though he wanted God's approval over man's. This is who Paul is. This is who he's been defending. Last week, Scott talked about a couple of issues that I think are important for us to remind ourselves of. Number one, he reminds us that even leaders make mistakes, right? Even people who are really important, really smart, really good, really, really great men of God make big mistakes. And trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that is noted, right? It's good to know that God gives grace to us all. And so Paul calls out Peter. Peter, the leader of the church. He also calls out his right-hand man, Barnabas. Can I just add something here? When you sometimes fall into sin and false belief, it's not just about you. You bring people with you. That's what happens. It's exactly what Peter did. He began to see what he was doing was hanging out with the Gentiles. He was eating with the Gentiles, spending time with the Gentiles until the Jer uh, Jerusalem false brothers come into Antioch. And when they come in, Peter kind of looks around like he's worried to be with those Gentiles. So he steps back. And as he steps back, worried about what others would think about him being with those Gentiles, in other words, trying to live by the law, trying to follow the step of the law, he pulls back in racism. He pulls back in, in, in separation in disobedience to God's word, in what Paul calls hypocrisy, a very strong word. And as he pulls back from those Gentile brothers, guess who he brings with him? Barnabas, Paul's right-hand man. We have to be so careful that we have accountability in our lives because when we fall, we often will bring people with us. So Paul does something that's beautiful for Peter and for Barnabas. He holds them accountable. He calls them out in their sin and says, what are you guys doing? 
Scott talked about that last week. He also talked about this big theological term, uh, justification. Justification. It's a theological term. It's a legal term. If I could, I like to dumb things down. Maybe that's just me, but I like to make them as simple as I can make them just so I can understand them, right? And so let me tell you what justification is. It's being made right. You get a, you get a bill in the mail from your electric company and they say you owe $100 to the electric company, right? Mine's usually a lot more than that, sadly. But they say you owe 100 bucks. Until that $100 is paid, you owe them something. But guess what? When your check clears and they get that money, you have justified that relationship, right? You've made it right. You owed them $100, and when you paid it, you made that relationship right. It's making something right. Here's another simple thing. When I was a kid, I learned justification in a very simple way to understand it is just as if I had never sinned, right? Justification is just as if I had never sinned. I've never forgotten that. It's good to remember those simple things that remind us of what Jesus has done. Scotty said last week that that we give God our sinfulness and he gives us his righteousness. He makes us right. He makes it just as if we had never sinned. He justifies us from our sinfulness. So it's not something we do. It's not something that we earn. It's something that by God's grace he gives to us through faith. That's the good news. So Abraham, uh, Abram, early on, of course, his name has changed to Abraham, is credited as righteous. Now, what did he do to get righteous? And what did he do? Was it a hard, was it a long test? Was it a certain amount of years? Because he was 75 when he first received the promise of God and 99 when God begins to fulfill that promise in that way. Sometimes God doesn't always give you exactly what he promises. Sometimes we have to wait in patience. It's called sanctification. It's not necessarily a fun process, but it's doing what he wants to accomplish in us. What did he do? Nothing. He, he didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. The Bible says he believed. He had faith. And in that faith, in that belief, God credited to him righteousness. It's beautiful. It's going to be the story we end with today. Look with me in your text, Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. Paul's a fiery one, and he's speaking with a fiery voice this morning in Galatians 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Would you pray with me as we pray over our text this morning? Lord, we love your word. Thank you, Father, so much for this letter Paul has written to the Galatians, and we benefit from it. 
because we are foolish Galatians ourselves. We make dumb mistakes all the time, and we can get pulled away and deceived just as Peter and Barnabas were. It happens to us all the time. So God, help us not to live with a foolish faith. Help us to seek you, to know you, to love you, to keep our eyes on the cross of Jesus, on the gospel of Jesus, and remind us who we are in you, oh God. Through faith, we've been given this beautiful gift. And I pray that you would anoint me now, Lord, to speak your heart and your word through this time. And we pray it in, in the name and beautiful gift of Jesus. Amen. I want to make three points this morning on our text, okay? You don't have them written in there for you, so you got to do a little extra work. I'm sorry. Uh, here's the first one. Don't be deceived. Paul's saying to the Galatians, don't be deceived, right? You, you foolish Galatians. By the way, can I remind you that this letter is being read publicly <laughs> in all these churches, right? Can you imagine being the first church and the, hey, I want to read the letter from Paul. Okay, awesome. Oh, foolish Galatians, right? It's being read aloud. Paul says to the Galatians twice in the first few verses, you're foolish, what are you doing? And I want you to feel that, that unsettledness in Paul. Now, Paul's not calling these people stupid. He's not insulting their intellect. That's not what he's doing. He loves these people. What he is saying is, you're not being wise. You have the right information, but you're not using wisdom with the right information. I don't know about you, but I have definitely lived in many ways in my life with right information and no wisdom. Anybody else? Just me, right? So eighth grade, here's a little something I want to tell you about myself. I just want to apologize to my parents for the eighth grade. That's just a bad, I want to go ahead and start right there. I decided on, in the eighth grade, I wanted to be a rebel. I wanted to be a bad boy. Yeah, tough. And uh, so I started smoking. I started wearing, you know, ripped jeans and, and all kinds. I still wear those. But, uh, you know, all kinds of different things. And I just started trying to be a tough kid, tough guy, you know. And uh, even my little school year picture, just kind of like, you know, kind of like, it's gnarly. Well, at the end of the year, our, my history teacher says, hey, it's the last year we're going to be using these history books. And if you guys want to take these books and more books home, you're welcome to. Now, first of all, listen, if you're a teacher, no kid wants to take any books home for the summer. That's dumb, all right? Especially more than your book. They want to take more unless they're trying to be bad and rebellious. And like me, thought, what a perfect opportunity for a book burning. Yeah, let's do that. So me and my buddies filled our book bags with books. And we went to this little lake in my friend's neighborhood over in, I think it was in Leewood somewhere. And we, we got over there. There's a little lake over there. And we decided we're going to have a book burning with these awful books. And we got the ladder out, and we start to burn the books, and the rain starts coming down. We're like, oh, come on. True story. So we wrap up the books. We get them back in the book bag. We put our book bags back on. We go to my friend's garage, eighth grade. Information, no wisdom. Just going to put that out there. Right? I had the information about what was right and wrong. I had no wisdom. And so we get in my friend's garage. We've got the books, and we're like, well, this messes up our plans. And somebody, I'm not sure who it was said, uh, 
hey, you know, your next door neighbor has a front porch and an overhang way up high and the rain wouldn't get to the fire if we put it on his front porch. Again, information, no wisdom. So, yeah, let's do that. That sounds like something. And so we took the books over and we lit the books on fire and we had a three or four foot flame from those awful history books on someone's front porch. And by the grace of God, and I mean that with all my heart, by the grace of God, the next door neighbor pulls into his driveway. He happens to be a cop, which is also by the grace of God. (laughs) Pulls into the, the driveway, runs out, grabs his hose, waters down the books, sees us snickering across the street, you know, from around the garage, basically drags us by our ears over to where the books were burning. And no kidding, he, he's like, what are you thinking? Same thing that Paul says. What are, you, what are you thinking? Then he reaches down and grabs one of the burned books and opens it, says, Drew Klein. No kidding. And, and then he says, what are your names? And he starts going down the line of my buddies. And he gets to me, and, I, and I, information, no wisdom, and not much information. Um, but I go, Drew Smith. <laughs> Drew Smith was the best alias that I could come up with. I'm not a good criminal, right? I'm not a good criminal. So, uh, so I tell him Drew Smith, and he goes, no kidding. He goes, so I see you're the brains of the operation. Listen, sometimes we have information, but we don't have wisdom. And by God's grace, that fire was put out, and I went home scolded and and got in trouble, but it could have wrecked my life. It could have been off. That house could have burned down so easily. What was I thinking? Paul's saying to the Galatians, this is more important than a house. This is your soul. What are you thinking? Adding something to the gospel. It's not good. You're being foolish. It doesn't make sense. Then he adds a word to it. He says, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has influenced you in this way? Who has put you in a trance? Who's cast a spell on you? Well, who, who casts spells? Who are the kind of people that cast spells? They're, 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 right? they're witches, warlocks, demonic people. And that's exactly what Paul is getting at, that whoever has come in here, and he said in the previous chapter, I think, that somebody has infiltrated, right? Whoever has infiltrated the church is of the enemy. They have bewitched you. This is the only time this word, the Greek word for bewitched, is used in the whole New Testament. It literally means put in a trance or cast a spell. I've got a buddy in Nashville who's a, he's a world-class Christian um, illusionist. And his whole thing is deceiving you. His whole thing is to be on stage and do something. And you go, whoa, how did he do how did, That's not possible. And then he goes, yeah, I deceived you. And after he deceives you, he comes up and says, that's what the enemy does in your life every single day. He makes you believe one thing that is not true. And he, he's doing something else that you don't know about. That's what these Galatians were doing. They were being deceived. They were being foolish. He's not saying you're stupid. He's saying, don't be so foolish. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the fact that the one who sent in these enemies is, is Satan. It's the, it's the enemy, right? Matthew 13, I talked about Jesus, gives us the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And he says, the enemy sends in those weeds, right? Those weeds with the wheat. The enemy sends in these spies as in, to infiltrate what's going on. That's what the enemy does. He places people in our lives that cause us to be deceived and not believe the truth of the gospel. 
currently there's people in our, in our Christian context who are being deceived. <laughs> there's no question that there are people in our Christian context being deceived. So the question I have for you is this. Is it possible for a Christian to be bewitched? Is it possible for a Christian to be deceived? I'm getting some of this and some of this. Interesting. Well, if you start looking through the book of Galatians, here, even in this text that we're looking at this morning, it's really clear. Paul is speaking to people he believes are Christians. Paul is speaking to believers. Yes, Christians can be bewitched. They can be deceived. Yes, Christians can begin to believe something they shouldn't. So that's, that's important to remember. You know, um, Paul's saying to this group of people, don't live with a foolish faith. Right? That's the name of the message this morning. Don't have a foolish faith that you would have such a lack of wisdom that you just start believing anything. I've got a buddy who's a church planter and has a church planting residency in Rwanda. And I love him very much. But he, he's told me, he said, Drew, it's so important that we have this church planting residency. And we educate these pastors about the truth of the gospel because all they're learning in Africa, all over Africa, is the prosperity gospel. All they're learning is the health and wellness gospel. They're not learning the truth of the scripture because America, that's us, we're exporting to Africa and other nations of the world who don't get a whole lot of channels, but they get some of these Christian channels. And what are mostly on these Christian channels? The prosperity gospel. And so the church around Africa is infected with the not the true gospel, these additions to the gospel. And that's why he says that's why it's so important that he trains these pastors to preach the truth. It happens. There are people that we allow into our lives. There are voices we allow into our hearts to educate us. Whether you say they're educating me or not, trust me, they're educating your faith. Be careful about who you allow into your life, into your ears, into your heart, into your mind to educate your faith. Know that they are grounded in the gospel of Jesus. Know what they're saying because one day it'll show up in your life if you don't. I've mentioned this before. Oprah has said before, hey, there's lots of ways to God. Many ways to God, right? She says, your truth, my truth, their truth. No, no, no. One truth. And one truth, he has a name, doesn't he? His name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father apart from me. There is one truth. His name is Jesus. It's important for us to know that, to not be deceived into a foolish faith, to think there's multiple roads to Jesus. There's not. There's one. It's through him. It's through a crucified Christ that we can know God. Famous televangelist several years ago sat on the set with Larry King, and Larry said, so tell me, do I have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? I mean, that, that's like a ball on a tee ball for a preacher. Like, oh, oh, here I go, right? You know what the televangelist, author of millions of books, pastor of a very large church, he said, I don't know. I'm not sure. What? How are you a pastor? How are you an author and you don't know how people come to know Jesus? You're bewitched. You don't understand the truth. Someone is deceiving you. The Pope, uh, author Rob Bell, they both say that there is no hell. I want you to know they're wrong. Do you know who speaks mostly about hell in the New Testament? Who speaks more than anybody else in the New Testament about hell? Jesus. Hell is a real place. And the, the last thing we need to do is erase it somehow. 
The last thing we need to do is say that it doesn't exist. Let's just all do what we want. Let's just all live however we want. We don't have to worry about, no, no, no. Jesus speaks more about hell than anybody else in the New Testament. And to say there is no hell is to call Jesus Christ a liar. Jesus gives specific detail to hell in Luke 16, Mark 9, Matthew 13, Matthew 25. It's very serious. We have to take it as such. There are many people and many, and I'll say this almost, I'm trying to not cry, because I have many, many dear, dear friends who believe that homosexuality is a lifestyle that God is okay with. Many, many friends who have chosen to live a certain path of homosexuality. And I don't want to just pick on that one sin. It could be sexuality apart from marriage. It could be multiple different things, right, of sinfulness. Anytime you choose to live in sinfulness according to what the Bible calls sin, it's sinfulness. But these people are living in such a way that God doesn't have a problem with it, right? Well, I heard a guy one time say, any new kind of gospel is an old kind of heresy. And that's exactly what that is. We have to believe the Bible for what it says. It's deception. It's demonic. Don't be bewitched. Don't be deceived. Don't live in a foolish faith. Take the information that the gospel and the the word has given us and then live with biblical wisdom from it. Second half of verse 1. That was the first half of verse 1. Second half of verse 1 says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here's the second point I want to make to you. Don't deny all that God has done. Don't deny all that God has done. That's exactly what the Galatians were doing. And Paul's saying, why would you deny all that Jesus has done? He says, I publicly portrayed the crucified Christ to you. In the Greek, that literally means this. It's like a sign. When you leave today and you stop at a stop sign, you're going to see a big sign that says, stop. You're going to be clearly, you're going to clearly understand I'm supposed to stop here and move on. That's what the Greek is implying here. Paul's saying, I made it a public portrayal of a crucified Christ. I made it so clear who Jesus is. I made it so clear the price that he's paid. I made it so clear the grace that that was what saved you and I. Not your works. He says, but you took your eyes off the cross. You took your eyes off of this crucified Savior. It's interesting. He says, I think this is a very interesting point. John MacArthur brought out in one of his messages, and I wanted to tell it to you. Very interesting. He says that Paul said in the Galatians, they not only just tried to change the gospel a little bit, they denied the Trinity of God. That's a very serious denial. Look here with me in the text. Number one, they denied Jesus, right? Says it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. They take their eyes off of the gospel, off of a crucified Jesus. That's God the Son. Then he says, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Right? Didn't you receive the Spirit? Don't deny the Spirit of the living God. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Spirit of the living God. And then he says at the last part of this section, he says, 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, by hearing with faith? Who supplies the Spirit? God the Father. According to Jesus, right, in John 14, 16, Jesus says, let, let me ask the Father to send the Spirit of God. So when we begin to deny what God is doing, it's not a small thing, friends. We're saying we've taken our eyes off the gospel. We're not acknowledging the Spirit's work in our lives, and we're not even paying attention to the fact that the Father, God the Father, who sends the Spirit is doing this work in us. I said this before. Notice Paul is clearly making the assumption that the people he's writing these letters to know Jesus. He believes these people who are listening to this letter, they know Christ. So how do you know that? Well, because salvation and receiving the Spirit is a synonymous act. It happens at the same time. Now, there are some denominations that don't preach this. I have many, many dear friends that are Assembly of God brothers. I love them very, very much. They believe that there's salvation and that the Spirit is known, the know that you have the Spirit when you it comes at a later gift, a secondary gifting. And when you can speak in tongues, they know that you have the Spirit and they know that you're saved. That's not what the Bible says. Let me tell you what the Bible says in John 3, 5. Jesus answered, this is Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. It's simultaneous. It happens at the same time. Romans 8 9, Paul says, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. There's no secondary gifting. This just happens at the same time. You get, the, you get saved, you get the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, it's because you're saved. They're not separated. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we are all baptized by one Spirit. Then he's not talking about a water baptism. He's talking about the immersive act of grace, of salvation. When God saves us all, he saves us by one Spirit. Ephesians 1, 3, 13, when you believe, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Paul is preaching to people he knows have received Jesus. When he says, when you receive the Spirit, he knows that these people know Christ. And yet they've been deceived and they're living in a foolish faith. The thing is, is the false brothers come into the church and they say, hey, oh, you're a Christian now. Well, in order to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. Circumcision is the mark of a believer. That's what you need to do. And once you get circumcised, then of course you need to begin to live uh, under the Mosaic law, right? Paul's saying, no, circumcision is not the, the, the mark of, of salvation. Circumcision of the heart is the mark of salvation. When the Spirit is at work in your life, we can go, oh, that guy knows Jesus. When the Spirit is working through you, when the Spirit is evidenced in who you are, we go, that guy knows Jesus. That's how we know. Paul says, you receive the Spirit, but how? Did you receive the Spirit through works, through something you did? Or did you receive the Spirit by hearing with faith? Was it works that, that you received the Spirit and were saved? Or did you have faith? Can I just remind you of something here? When Paul came to Galatia, he did not preach to them the Mosaic law, and he did not preach to them circumcision. Paul is saying, how can you be saved without those things, but now that you want to be growing closer to Christ, you're going to add those things in? That makes no sense. You're acting like a fool. 
You don't now earn your sanctification. You don't now earn your growth by adding in these things when it wasn't these things that saved you in the first place. You know, Paul, in this moment, <laughs> he sounds so parental, doesn't he? He is hacked off. He is, he is sarcastic and angry. And just, uh, you know, as a parent, I know I've said things that sounded similar to this. I definitely know my parents have said things to me that sounded like this, right? I can hear my mother's voice saying, oh, well, if your friend jumps off a bridge, you're just going to jump off the bridge too. You know, in my mind, I'm like, well, it depends on how high and if there's a water steep. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, again, someone else with information and no wisdom You know, if, if your friend goes to play soccer in the highway, are you going to just join him in the middle of the road? Not, if it's not at rush hour, but, you know, it's like you hear the sarcasm. You hear, why are you being an idiot? I love how the message uh, paraphrases this text. It just sounds like something we need to hear. Galatians 3, 2 through 6. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin, Paul says? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose that you could perfect it? Did you go through this whole painful learning process for nothing? See, when the Galatians trusted Christ, they're going to face persecution. And Paul's saying, you've gone through this experience You've gone through this persecution? Is it, what? You've gone through this painful learning process for nothing? It's not yet a law, a total loss, but it certainly will be if you keep this up. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your life you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him? to do them in you. I just love the way the message lays that out so plainly for us. I want you to see the main thing I'm, I'm trying to bring to you this morning. Paul is saying, if your life in Christ didn't start because you did something, why would your growth in Christ continue because you think you're going to do something? This word sanctification, again, it's a $2 word, right? It's a big word. It just means how God changes you from who you are to who he wants you to be. It's him changing you into the image of Jesus over those broken hearts, over those hard lessons, over those victories, over those children, over those lack of children, over those finances, over those lack of finances. Every moment of every day, God is helping shave off everything that doesn't look like Jesus in our hearts. That's sanctification. And God says, if you didn't get this faith by something you did, you're not going to keep this faith by something you do. And if you can't do something to keep this faith, you're not going to grow in it because you do, you're doing something else. Friends, it's the same grace. Listen how beautiful this, this is. The same grace that saves us sustains us. And the same grace that sustains us sanctifies us. That's good news this morning. That's good news. We don't earn salvation through works and we won't grow in Christ through works. But I have to tell you what, in ministry almost 30 years, I don't know how many new believers I've heard say things like this. Tell me if you've heard new believers say things like this. Whew, now that I know the Lord, I'm going to be in church every Sunday, right? I, I'm going to read the Bible every day. 
I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to stop sinning so much. I'm going to work really hard to be a better person and to do good. You heard those things? Now, those aren't bad things. Those are great things. They're wonderful things. But can I just tell you, if your motivation is because you think you have to, you're supposed to, you need to, to keep something up, it's wrong. It needs to be something that I can't do, friends. I get to do this. Because of God's grace in my life, I get to live this way. It's called freedom. It's the faith and freedom that we're talking about in Galatians. All these things are great, but if your motivation is not love, if it's obligation, it's wrong. So many times we we experience a good gift from God. Or from people, we, we want to pay it back, right? Somebody pays your lunch and you go, okay, I got to make a mental note. I got to pay, I'm buying lunch. Next time me and Julian have lunch, I got to buy lunch because he bought the last. Isn't that what we do? Lori and I moved out of an apartment one time and I felt so bad for the guys helping us move. I felt so bad that I wanted to pay them back that I took every heavy thing I could find. I about killed myself trying to carry the heavy stuff. My arms were killing me. I couldn't move the next day. And that's what That's what happens when we don't live by grace. We try to carry everything that we shouldn't be trying to carry. It's not ours to carry. Jesus already carried it. It's already done. It's a free gift. But let me say this. Motivation is everything. Motivation is everything. Yes, we ought to worship. Yes, you ought to be here to worship with your your family, the body. Yes, we ought to be faithful to the Lord and serving him. But we need to do those things because we want to know him more. Not because we're supposed to dot, dot, dot. Well, I better dot, dot, dot. No. I, I got to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, Lori was out of town. And I've talked about her often. You guys know how much I adore my wife. I love my wife so much. And I had kind of an interesting experience as she was out of town. I decided I took some time off from uh, the church and what didn't preach. Scott was preaching last week. I decided I was going to get some projects done around the house. I just, there's some things I wanted to get done around the house. And so I started working on these projects and I got one done and I was feeling pretty proud of myself. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Lori is going to love this. <laughs> I can't wait to show Lori what I've done. I'm not telling her. It's a surprise. And then I kind of went crazy. And I'm like, what else can I do? My daughter just went like this. She went, yeah, he did. He went crazy. I was like, oh, what else can I do? And so I started doing all these projects and I couldn't, I'm telling you, I went crazy. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I worked my tail off all week doing multiple projects, So I, and I didn't tell Lori. Why? Because I love her so much, I couldn't wait till she came home and went, oh, what have you done? I couldn't wait. And we even, we played a little game. She got home, it's like, find the projects, <laughs> you know. Here's the thing. She didn't, we, when I dropped her off at the airport, she didn't go, you better get those projects done before I get home. She didn't do that. She didn't even know about the projects. I started those projects. I did those projects. I finished them because I love my family and I love my wife. And I couldn't wait to do that out of the grace that I have in my relationship with her. I couldn't wait till she saw the joy that I I would receive and the joy that I had in doing these things. I did it out of love. That's how we serve Jesus. God, I want to serve you. I want you to be so proud of me. I want you to smile. I want to be at your house anytime I can. Am I tired? Yeah, I'm tired. Did I work a little, a little extra? Yeah, I did. 
but I want to be with your people. I want to serve your people. Can I tell you, listen, if we change the motivation of our hearts as the people of God from have to to get to, we won't be able to hold you back. We won't be able to hold you back. You'll be in these neighborhoods. You'll be serving the least of these. You'll be giving all that you can give. You'll be doing all that you can do because that's what Jesus has done for us. And when we love him out of grace, we love like Jesus. When God changes our hearts, Corinthians says he makes us a new creation. And can I just tell you, when he makes you a new creation, sin is not the same. Sin doesn't taste as good. You know, sin is pleasurable. I don't know if you know that or not. Sin is pleasurable. But when God changes you and makes you a new creation, sin doesn't taste as good. It doesn't feel as good because the Holy Spirit is within you. And the, whole, the newness in you is going, I don't want that old junk. I want what God has for me. And the Spirit is leading and moving and guiding your life to the things of God, not to the things of a dead life. Paul said, I died to the law and now I live to God. I died to these rules so that I can live in freedom to Christ. John Stott says in his commentary, the law makes demands and bids us obey. The gospel brings promises and bids us believe. Promises and belief. When I was in college, I struggled with sin so much. It was a daily battle in such a vivid way that's never been the same in my life since. It was such a horrible battle. And I'm not, I'm not lying to you. I looked through Scripture to try and find a loophole. I did. God, please show me. What, this, this, can I please get by this rules? Can I please get by what I'm supposed to do? I don't want to do, I want, I want to do what I want to do. Help me. And I was in the middle of a, a Christian theology class, Dr. Ron Mitchell. And the only time I went to one of my professors, the only time, shows how, what kind of student I am. Uh, I, I went to Dr. Mitchell, and I said, Dr. Mitchell, he was, he was showing us in the class how big God is, that in the lowest points of the ocean, there are these creatures that you'll never see because they're microscopic. But if you could see them under a microscope, microscope, they're beautiful. That only God would do something like that. Like, you're not going to always see the, the flowers on top of a mountain that no one will ever see, but God will. Like, just the grandeur of God. And I went to him, I said, Dr. Mitchell, I've been in a plane at 30,000 feet. I can't see anybody down there. Why does God care about me and a little sin that I want to have? This little sin that I want to do. What, what does it matter, really, if God's so big? And you know what he said? He said, oh, you can do it. Sit silent like this, and I went, what? He said, no, you can do it. You can do it. What are you telling me right now? He said, Drew, you can do it. You can sin. He said, but do you love Jesus? I said, well, yeah. He goes, oh, well, Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. He said, you can do whatever you want, but if you love Jesus, he said, obey my commands. John 14, 15, John 14, 21, John 15, 14. If you love me, obey my commands. This is, you see, I was trying to live in the law. God, show me a loophole in the law. Show me something I haven't seen. And God was calling me to love. I was trying to live by regulation. And Jesus was calling me to relationship, to serve him in that place, not in finding a loophole. 
It's a different way to live, and motivation is everything. Martin Luther said, the establishing of the law is the abolishing of the gospel. Paul had established these gospel communities throughout Galatia, and now these false brothers are coming in, and they're trying to establish the law. And when they establish the law, they abolish the gospel. Here's the last point, and we're going to go. Abraham's descendants are spiritual, not physical. Abraham's descendants are are spiritual descendants, not physical. It says in verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Has anybody done one of those genealogy things, right? Those are fun. I haven't done one yet. I don't know that I will. But, um, you know, people are doing these genealogy tests and they're trying to find out, hey, am I related to George Washington? Am I related to Thomas Jehovah? Whoever, you know, how are we related to different people? That's what these brothers were doing. They were saying, guess what? We're related to Abraham, father of the Jews. And because we're circumcised, we're, our lineage goes to Abraham. Paul's saying, no, no, no. That's not the case. Paul brings in a brilliant, brilliant point when he brings up Abraham. You see, these Jewish Judaizers, these uh, circumcision party, these brothers, false brothers trying to change the gospel. Paul brings in Abraham and says, hey, guys, how did Abraham come to righteousness? Right? Because these Judaizers are trying to get these new Christians to start doing stuff, to earn their salvation, to keep their salvation. And Paul says, wait, wait, is that what Abraham did? And he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He's saying, don't don't track your heritage back to circumcision. Mm -hmm. Track your heritage back to circumcision of the heart. The true sons and daughters of Abraham are those who have had faith, those who believe God. That's that's who are his sons and daughters. Abraham believed God. Now listen, believing in God and believing God are two different things. Did you know that? James 2.19 says that even the demons believe in God. Satan himself believes in God. Trust me. Believing God and believing in God are two different things. When you believe God, you believe he is who he said he is, and he will do what he said he will do. When we believe God. It's faith. We're trusting God. God's going to do what he said he will do. He is who he says he is. I believe God. Look what Tim Keller says. He says, you can't believe God without believing in God. But you can believe in God without believing God. Some of you may be sitting here this morning and you say, yeah, I believe there's God out there. Some of that's, there's God. That's it. But you don't believe God. You don't believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do. And the same grace, like the same stars Abraham saw, the same stars we saw today, those were real stars. We have the same grace. We can trust the Lord We can believe as Abraham did and be justified. He didn't earn it. He didn't work for it. He believed. Have you ever been in one of those uh, pay-it-forward lines at Starbucks? (laughs) Anybody? My family went through Starbucks, I don't know, about a year or two ago. And um, don't ever start letting your little kids get stuff at Starbucks. Too expensive. Anyway, I already made that mistake, and I'm done for. But... uh, we pull up, and we had about $20 bill at uh, $20 uh, charge at Starbucks. I'm in the drive-thru. And the lady says, uh, oh, gives us our stuff. She goes, okay, well, the car in front of you paid for you. 
I've never had anybody do that. I went, what? You've got to be kidding me. That's awesome. I'm so excited. She goes, yeah, they're, they're doing the pay it forward thing. I said, oh, oh, I get it. I'm with you. Okay, how much is the car behind us? Right? Because I'm a man and I want to just get a good discount. And uh, she says, it's about $9. I'm like, whoa, I won. You know, it's kind of like the way we, we think as men. It's not the point. The amount is not the point. The point is, I was given this gift for free. I didn't earn any, any of that coffee. We pulled up in the line and somebody gave me $20 worth of good things from Starbucks. We didn't earn it. It was a gift. That's what Jesus does for us. It's what he did for Abraham. It's what he's done for us. Verse 7 as we close. Know, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Paul's saying, listen, you're not in lineage just because of circumcision. You're Abraham's sons and daughters because of faith. God preached this to Abraham, Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Before the Mosaic law was written, before circumcision was around, he believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. And those of us who believe God are his sons and daughters. More importantly, sons and daughters of the true king. And when we believe, God credits to us righteousness. Paul says justification is not a new idea. This was God's plan all along. This was God's plan all along. And the verses, in that last verse, it uses words justifying and blessing. Those, are, those words are used interchangeably here. And it means salvation. God wants to bring salvation to every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And in Revelation, we see that he does that. I can't wait to worship with every tribe and tongue. They will be blessed because of Jesus. But I want you to see something. We have to have faith. Look in this verse real quick before we close. Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. How does he justify Gentiles? By faith. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. How are they blessed? So then those who are of faith. Friends, this is the reason why we do mission work. This is the reason we go across the world and across the street. This is the reason we teach our kids about what Jesus has done. They need to hear the truth so that by faith they can receive Jesus. But just as Abraham was credited as righteous, when we believe in Jesus and when we believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he'll do, he credits to us Jesus' righteousness. Not because we earned it, because he loves us. And we get to, we get to serve him out of that joy. Don't be deceived. Don't live in a foolish faith. Don't take your eyes off the cross as the Galatians did. Don't deny all that God has done. Jesus is our substitute. His spirit is, is his presence within us. And God the Father starts the work in us in salvation and guess what? He's going to finish it too. Philippians 1.6 says this as we finish. Paul says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. There's a, there's a verse say, and he who began a good work in you, trust that you're going to finish this up by yourself. 
I'm so glad it doesn't say that. He who began a good work in you is going to watch how you do. No, no. He who began a good work in you will be faithful. He will bring it to completion, to perfection. The day of Jesus Christ. The same grace that saved you will sustain you and sanctify you, not your work. Listen, as we close, can I, can I just ask you this? Some of you need to rethink your motivation in, in your walk with Christ. Some of you serve out of a guilty place. Well, I just, this is probably what I should do, and I need to do it because I... Listen, receive the gift of salvation and let that motivation be, Lord, what all can I do for you? I promise you that love is a greater motivator than guilt. It's such a greater motivator than guilt. If Lori had said to me, get those projects done, I'd probably still be on the couch. I love her. I wanted to serve my family. And can I ask you this question? Have you trusted Jesus? Do you know that his righteousness has been credited to you because you believe God? Or do you just believe in God? He's something out there, but I don't, I don't believe he'll do what he says he'll do. I don't believe he is who he says he is. And today could change your life forever. And how you serve him could change today forever. It's the faith we give to God that saves us, that changes us. It's, it's his gift to us as we believe. And then in doing so, he gives us a freedom that you'll never imagine. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this lesson from this letter in Galatians. Lord, thank you for this example and <laughs> that was written so, so long ago, that was lived so long ago, and yet it was written by you, the author of our faith, and the lesson to be learned for Abram and the lesson to be learned for us is that we don't earn this righteousness. You give it to us, Lord. We believe. And as we believe, as we have faith, Lord, we receive. And it's through that grace, it's through that mercy, it's through that love that you've first loved us, God, that now we can approach your throne boldly, that we can walk in obedience, that we can serve you, not because we're looking for loopholes. Let me find the least thing that I can do. No, no, no. God, what's the most that I can do is what grace says. Not how can I get by without doing anything. Lord, how can I give my life completely for you? Because what you've done for me is give your life completely for me. Lord, may we serve out of grace, not out of obligation. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you would turn us loose by your spirit. Turn South City Church loose to do the works, God, that you have prepared for us. Lord, we love you. We give you this time. Please help us to deal with you, to, to speak with you, to come before you, Lord, and, and hear you and be obedient to you. Not because we're afraid of some <laughs> rule-keeping, God, because you love us and we respond to love and we serve out of love because we've been loved. Thank you, Jesus, for that grace and that mercy. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.